Words of Hope Friendship with Christ Father Dominic Fall gives the first of three talks at a day retreat for Lent. Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint John, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So we treat for Lent, and I first wanted with you to look at the simplicity of the intention of God on each one of us, knowing that the time of Lent is in a certain way at the image of the 40 years in the desert eh, that Israel had to go through during the Exodus. The time of Lent should be somehow a time of simplification. Because the intention of God on each one of us is very simple, but our worldly life is so complex. And so complex for different reasons. First of all, because of the personal disorder of sin in us, leading us to be to lack virginity, to be attentive to so many different distractions, to so many different seductions on one hand, and also linked to the fact that our culture, the culture in which we are, is constantly feeding this lack of virginity, constantly increasing in us new needs, which are in fact, most of them, imaginative. And, and I think it's important when the Church gives us every year this time of land, not first of all to use it as a time of penance, but first of all as a time where we recover the simplicity of the intention of God on us, and the simplicity of what should be our response. And, and that's not easy. Uh, remember how the, the people of Israel preferred to be a slave in Egypt rather than accepting the, the simplicity of the life in the desert, which should have been a life under the guidance of God, fed by God, led by Him, and somewhere they were tempted to go back. And I think it's exactly the same for us. And that's linked to many different reasons in us. Maybe the first one today is the table insecurity, which is in each one of us. The word makes us terribly insecure. Insecurity at the affective level. We want to have as many friends as possible because we don't really trust anyone fully. And we multiply them endlessly 
in an artificial way. And the best example is Facebook, obviously. Which is the sign of an incredible insecurity in people. So affective insecurity, we are, we are so much longing for a love which could satisfy us because we have not really discovered the only love which can satisfy us coming from God. Insecurity at the level of work, obviously, also. So, yes, I think it's good to be aware of those insecurities in us, which always lead us to an incredible undetermination. We constantly move from one desire to the next. In fact, we constantly try to, to feel the emptiness in us. And the other problem is, is nearly the opposite, which is pride. So obviously when you're very insecure, your life becomes very complex because you run behind so many different false goods. But pride also makes our life very complex because we constantly try to dominate. So that's a fact in all of us. Either psychologically or spiritually, that's a fact. And facing this, what is the intention of God? Very simple. As a father, God has created us in a certain way, with this only desire to fully exercise the fatherhood on us. With this only desire that we live fully of this fatherhood. And this fatherhood not only as a creature living of the fatherhood of the Creator, but even simpler than this, the sonship of his only son, the way the son lives of his fatherhood. And you know that the time of Lent, the liturgical level, is ordered by the different Gospels that we receive on Sundays. The whole week is under the light of the readings, of, especially the Gospel of each previous Sunday. And when you look at the Gospels, of this year, they all centered around the fatherhood. First of all, the temptation of Christ, and the major one is against the adoration of the only God. Only God you shall adore. Then the transfiguration, the transfiguration where God begs us to listen to Christ as a beloved son, to be in communion with Jesus as a beloved son, in order to, to become ourselves sons in the Son. Then after that we have the gospel of repentance. And what is repentance for us? To re-choose the will of God, to re-choose what we have been created for, and finally those Gospels of Mercy, because God in His Fatherhood can only be properly known and discovered through His mercy. But the, the time of Lent 
is also a time where we have to strengthen ourselves. And the kingdom is for the violence. It's a time where we have to recover a strong will. The strong will of, yes, looking in one direction. That's called purity of heart and not being constantly scattered. Kingdom is for the violence. And for that, obviously, Christ offers to us a friendship. But not really a friendship according to the worldly ways. A friendship where he wants to pull us. Once I am attached on the wood, I will attract all men. If you wish, uh, at the natural level, a friendship is very horizontal. We please each other. That's not the friendship that Christ offers to us. The only desire of Christ is to pull us towards the Father. Is through the different means that he uses, and the Eucharist is obviously a major means, to take us away from our comfort zone, our worldly comfort zone, which is what God did with Israel. They had to leave their worldly comfort zone and enter the desert. Which is what God did with Abraham. Leave your country. And then you'll be fruitful. And not only comfort zone of, of the country, but offer your own son. Major comfort zone at the effective level. It's amazing to see that Whenever God wishes to enter, I was going to say, seriously in our life, then He always demands that we leave our comfort zone. Comfort zone of work, comfort zone at the affective level. Unless you hate your father, your mother, you cannot be my disciple. Comfort zone of culture, Leave your country. Comfort zone of work. Eh? Peter, James, John, they had to leave their boat, they had to leave their net and follow Christ. And for a fisherman to be far away from the sea is always risky and had to let go of all this. And the question is always the same. There's a moment in our life sometimes several moments because we are deaf where Jesus comes and it will always happen in our life if we are capable to hear it where Jesus comes and asks her whether we're ready to leave our comfort zone leave everything and follow me and again because we are so slow to hear so slow to respond we might miss the first time, then the second call, then the third call. But there's always a last call, obviously. Because Christ can only demand this from us. Meaning, Jesus will never stop halfway in his mission. 
and his mission is to bring us back to the Father. He came for that. And Jesus will, in the same time, respect our freedom, seeing that, okay, we stay behind, we enjoy distractions, whatever they are. He respects our freedom, but hopefully, because he's faithful in his mission, he will come again and again, as long as we are still capable to hear him. But sometimes you see people who have become incapable to hear the call of Christ. They fill their life with, in a certain way, so much worldly noise, whatever it is, at the affective level, at the sensitive level, at the level of success, that in fact there is no space given for Christ to be listened to. And that's basically what a retreat, I mean, today is a very short thing, yeah? but what a retreat is all about, to be able to, yeah, leave the noise of the world and reopen ourselves to the voice of Christ. What does he want from us? In fact, the answer is always the same. What Jesus wants from us is everything. <laughs> But the, everything will manifest itself in different ways for each one of us. But that's the only response of Christ. Because we know that the lukewarm, he cannot stand them. He vomits them. Because we know that the first commandment of the law remains forever. You shall love God with all your heart with all your intelligence, with all your mind, everything. And an authentic relationship with God implies necessarily adoration. Remember the, the words of Jesus to the Samaritan woman, the Father is looking for worshippers in spirit and truth. And what St. Augustine says, if the Father is looking for worshippers, it means that he cannot find them, real worshippers. People who really adore in truth. And therefore, it's not the adoration of the lips, but the truth of giving all to God through Christ. It's scary. It is scary for all of us to adore in truth. It's nice to have a liturgy of adoration because praise and worship is always nice. But a real adoration in truth is scary. To be able in the morning to tell Christ, to tell the Father through Christ, that we are really ready to give him all is scary. Especially when we know that it is the deepest desire of God. Whatever we give to God, we know that God gives back a hundred times more. But first of all, we have to give everything. And we have to give the pearl. The pearl of Abraham was Isaac. And he had to be ready to offer Isaac as a sacrifice in order for 
is adoration to be in truth. And in order to receive a hundred times more, your offspring will be as numerous as the stars in the sky, hundred times more. And you see that constantly in the life of the saints. Joseph had to be ready to let go of Mary after the Annunciation in order to be able to adore in truth and therefore in order to be able to really surrender to the will of God for him. And then he receives a hundred times more Mary and the child Jesus, Mary and the Son of God. And we all know there's a terrible risk for us to be the young rich man. We would like to really adore in truth, but we don't. We would like to love God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our intelligence, but we don't. Because we have so many threads and sometimes chains which bind us to the world. And you know the words of Teresa of Avila, whether it is a chain or whether it is a tiny thread, in any case we cannot fly, because we are stuck. That's why I think we are not yet in Lent, but it's good to prepare ourselves in a way that when it starts we really take it seriously. And the call of Jesus is always the same. And the Dukinatum, we have to go deeper. Until now, we have all been too shallow. That's the minimum of the truth that we need in order to be open to a conversion. The beginning of Lent, we recognize that we are sinners. And a sinner doesn't mean, first of all, that we've killed anybody or committed any adultery. No, no. Sinner in the sense that we were called to sanctity and we didn't take it seriously. Sinner in the sense of we were called to love God with all our heart and we have loved so many others, not in reference to God. Sinners in the sense that we were called to work for God and we have so often worked for ourselves. So sinners, in fact, not first of all at the moral level, but in the sense that we, we have diminished the intention of God on us. And the complaint that we see so often in the scripture Men are constantly diminishing the truth. Sinners, because in fact, we were called to live in the deepest way as children of God, and we have chosen so often to be children of the world and therefore such a shallow level. I spent so much time in planes or in airports, but I'm always amazed to see the shallow life of people. And everything is organized so that their life will be shallow. In an airport, everything is organized so that 
you waste time in a shallow way, in a plain something, and in the street something, and on TV something. I mean, everything in our life makes sure that unless we are very strong, we remain at the shadow level. Freedom is for the Valentine. To say no to this shadow type of life. And Jesus tells us, Saint John, not only Saint John, tells us, you know, once you really try to follow me, the world will hate you. And behind this radical call of Christ to go deeper. There's a fear. I think the terrible fear today, which is linked to the insecurity that we were talking about, is the fear of loneliness. Linked to psychological weakness in us. But we are so afraid to be alone. We are so afraid not to be surrounded by friends. And of course, we are so afraid to be hated, even worse. But Jesus tells us, if you really choose to be my friend, friend of Christ, then you might not have many friends. In fact, the world will probably hate you. And there's a fear in us for that. In fact, this is probably the worst or the most common psychological fear in people today. The fear of loneliness and the fear of solitude. So we try to fill the vacuum in whatever way, in order not to be alone. While Jesus offers to us a fullness of love, I'm always with you. If you accept to choose me as a friend, I'm always with you. You never find a friend on earth who's always with you. That's the only one. So the role of Christ is indeed to offer to us a friendship, and a friendship which is radical, which again can be scary for us. We are in a world where we like the multiplicity. We like to have many. In case we cannot count on one, there's always another one. And Christ offers to us a perfectly faithful friendship. But again, a friendship which is very demanding because he wants to be the only reference for us. He wants that we keep his word. He wants that we do his will. He wants that we judge as he judges. He wants to become the only reference. In a certain way, the only way to recover the simplicity that we have lost. And it tells us that it is the only way to find the real joy. And because again, the, Pope Benedict, who was writing this in his encyclical on hope, the modern culture, is indeed a culture of lies because it is lying to us, offering to us false joys. And Christ is there to bring us back to the only joy. I have told you all this so that your joy can be full 
I came to bring tidings of joy. I come to bring you joy and a peace that the world cannot give you. And clearly, when the young rich man chooses not to give himself totally, he lives sad. And his whole life will probably be sad. He lives sad. And look around. The modern culture is a culture of sadness, of false joy, trying to, to hide the fact that man is not happy. So we are constantly looking for, for a way out of our sadness. Because we have not found the only one capable to give us the true and stable joy. And when I say this, it should be so simple. Huh? All of us would say, okay, it's obvious. But we know that there's a tug of war in us. And a tug of war between what we see as the only way to properly live. And again, all those nostalgies in us, all those seductions in us, all those insecurities in us. And we spend our life limping and there's a table risk that, yes, we have only one life, and there's a table risk that we miss it. I'm not speaking of heaven or hell, hopefully the, the, the mercy of Christ is such that we will all meet somewhere at the end in glory. So that's not the issue. The issue is that most people waste their life. And a life is wasted when it is not for God simply because it's a life which is not what it should have been and more than this it is a life which is not open to all that God wants to give because obviously we cannot do it by ourselves we are so far away from what we should have been that it becomes impossible for us to recover this beatitude for which we have been created. But the good news is that Christ allows us to be weak in order to give us even more. Where sin is present, grace overflows. But, there's a but. <laughs> the but is that we have to choose it. That's an incredible love of God for freedom. It would be so easy for him to shower us with graces so that we have no choice and are totally reordered towards him joyfully. No. It would be so easy for Jesus to shower us with graces so that we live totally for him. It would be so easy. But he respects our freedom, which is so risky. Because he loves us, and he loves us perfectly, and more than anyone would love us, in absolute respect of our response, of our free response. And that's where, uh, behind the choice, there's two things. 
there's an act of intelligence and an act of will. And the first one is the act of intelligence. Do I see clearly what is the best for me? If I don't see it clearly, then obviously my life will always remain disordered. Do I see clearly that the only proper way is to live through Christ for the Father? There is no other way. I have been created for that. Christ has died for that. And that's the only way to live in the kingdom. There is no other way. Do I see clearly that the only way, proper way to live is to live fully through Christ for his Father? In any case, that will be my eternal life. But foolish would I be to postpone it and not to leave it already. At least I should see it. Otherwise, man without intelligence. The words of Jesus to the disciples of Emmaus. You don't understand anything. And God has constantly said it. Each prophet is reminding us of this. So we can say we didn't know. It's everywhere, each verse of the scripture. And Christ is constantly saying, I cannot be in the kingdom now unless I am a disciple of Christ. And therefore, unless I make mine his truth, is the truth. After that, I need a strong will. In order to will to live what I know is the only way. And of course, some of us lack intelligence. We don't want to see it clearly. All of us lack strong will. But the act of intelligence of seeing clearly, we have to renew it again and again, because the imagination takes over. The world is constantly leading us to hear other voices, and then we forget. And that's proper to the imagination. In fact, that's proper to the action of the devil. What should be first becomes second, and what should be second becomes first. He's the father of life, father of disorder. And so quickly we forget what is first. We get distracted at the affective level, and then suddenly all our affectivity overflows in the wrong direction. We get distracted at the level of vanity, at the level of power. We don't see. So, so quickly, we stop seeing what should be so clear. And there, there's really a need to renew and renew and renew an act of intelligence in order to keep seeing clearly. Early morning in the chapel, I see clearly that I should leave the day for Christ. Half an hour later at breakfast, I'm distracted. And one hour later, I totally forget. And two hours later, I'm seduced by whatever other affective need. 
So there we have to accept that our intelligence is very weak eh? and we have to strengthen it. We have to renew and renew and renew a choice. And a choice fed by Christ. He's the one constantly telling me that He came so that we know the Father. He came so that we love the Father. He came so that we listen to Him. So I have to strengthen my intelligence and strengthen my will. Once I see clearly, then do I really want it. And of course, it's not simply a stoic will where I have to, in a certain way, a will of duty. It's a will, first of all, coming from the fact, a strong will, that I see more and more clearly the love with which I am loved. And the question for all of us is always the same. Have I really discovered, in truth, not intellectually, but have I really discovered with what love Christ loves me? I know it on the paper. I know it in looking at the crucifix and say, oh yeah, he must love me a lot because he died for me. Okay, all this is universal. But have I really discovered the personal, endless, quasi-infinite and very personal love that Jesus has for me? As long as I have not discovered it, I'm still in danger. I'm in danger of being seduced right and left. I'm seduced to stop halfway. And therefore, I'm seduced with the risk of never living my life to the full. Yes, I can have a good life. I can have loving friends. I can have a nice family. Can in the eyes of the world be a good person? The Pharisees were like this. But they totally misunderstood. And Christ was hurt. He was much more hurt by the mediocrity of the good Jews than by the public sinners. And it's even strange. You know, there was a joy in Christ to spend time with the public sinners. Because they were still people thirsty, thirsty for love, unsatisfied. Why? He was so hurt by, yes, the, the mediocrity of the good Jews, the Pharisees, the doctors of the law, the priests. And there, yes, he was constantly asking from his disciples, a radical choice. If you are not capable, we said it, to hate your father, your mother, you cannot be my disciple. So it's not to be taken literally as hatred, but if you are not capable to prefer me to any other one, you cannot be really my disciple, and even less my friend. And I came to bring divisions. A son towards a father, a daughter towards her mother. 
The friendship offered by Jesus is not a nice friendship that we would, you know, all dream of. It's a friendship which demands a radical choice in order to open us to a fullness of joy. And the time of Lent, yes, should be a time where we we will choose to see clearly what's going on. We will choose to will strongly to respond. And if so, it should be a very joyful time. We always look at Lent as a horrible time, coming from one penance to the next. It should be a very joyful time. There's no, no greater joy than to finally see clearly what we want to do and to give ourselves totally to Him. The greatest joy is not to remain lukewarm. Lukewarm people are not joyful. The greatest joy is not to remain in our life of pleasure or glory. No, it's not the greatest joy. The greatest joy is to see clearly the greatest friendship offered to me and to give myself totally to it. Lunch should be very joyful. We should go from one Sunday to the next with more joy. And indeed, in the middle of it, there's the Gaudete, the Sunday of joy, to remind us that Lent implies a simplification of our life, and that should make us so joyful. And Jesus tells us, when you do the so-called penances, put perfume on your head and rejoice. So it's not penance in the sense of something hard to do, it's penance in the sense of letting go of heavy chains, all the different addictions. We are all addicted. There is the obvious addiction that everybody puts the finger on. Okay. But there are all the other addictions. Addiction to self, first of all. Addiction to this false dependence on others, unhealthy dependence, not being able to stand by myself. And to get rid of all those addictions is so joyful. Ask any addict. And I think it's important to, to try to live land that way as a unique chance to let go of all the slaveries. The joy of letting go one after the other of this or that chain. Joyful. Because then we become free. Then we become strong because we cannot be strong if we are not free. Then the do not be afraid of Christ and we stop having all those fears, whatever they are. Then we can really stand. And you know how Pope Francis was reminding us of this mission that we have to stand in a stable way, to manifest in a faithful and stable way the joy of being a friend of Christ. Not to follow what others do, but to stand in front of them for what is true, for what is good, and to show them the joy of living totally for God.
If living totally for God is not joyful, then then what was And if we have chosen to live totally for God and we are not joyful, then there is really something wrong. But sure, St. Paul reminds us, and, and that's also part of that, but it should be joyful. It's a tug of war. Our life for sanctity is like a race, and therefore we have to be a good sportsman. We have to change, like any good sportsman, our diet. We have to exercise. Okay, anybody in the world would do that. Why not us? We have to exercise in doing many acts of adoration throughout the day, in taking time to just be silently with Jesus several times per day. Any sportsman would do that. We have to exercise in re-choosing to show Christ that we prefer him to others. That's called sacrifices. But we would do that in the world also for a friend. But how is it that we can do it for a friend and we don't do it for Christ? And we have to change our diet. And our main diet will be the Word of God, the Eucharist, and the will of God, searching for the will of God. Not the will of God, what is my vocation? Okay, hopefully we, we find it quickly. But the will of God every day. What does God, what does Jesus want me to do today? Unless we maintain in us this diet, feeding myself, feeding myself with the word of God. Doing all that I can to feed myself every day with the Eucharist. To remain in this thirst for justice, huh? which is a beatitude, and therefore thirst for the will of God, my diet will never be the good one. And then I will be weak. Yeah. So, a good intelligence, seeing clearly, and a strong will. A life properly fed, and therefore enjoying living to the full. Because after all, when you see people in the world so sad, it's because they don't enjoy life. Or because they are half alive. They have not discovered the joy of being fully alive. And Christ is the life. Until we have chosen Him as the closest friend, until we have chosen Him as the main reference, we will never be fully alive. You have this moment in the book of Revelation where you see the companions of the Lamb, 144,000, who are the friends of the Lamb. Those who have the name of the Father on their forehead. Those who have no lie on their lips. Those who constantly sing a hymn, joy. And those who have a purity of heart, simplicity. They have one love, one truth, moved by one spirit, attracted by one father. So simple. But we have many loves, many false truths, 
many attractions and we don't even sing, obviously. So Lent, ask yourself the question, do I really desire to recover the simplicity for which I've been created? The simplicity of a child of God. The simplicity of a beloved son. This is my beloved son, listen to him. Do I really desire to recover a life where I listen to one, I love one, I find my security in one? Sure, from there, we are going to love many. From Christ, in Christ, for Christ. But the simplicity of a life where I have one reference and only one. In the same way, as Jesus has only one reference to the Father. The Son can only do what he sees his Father doing. I can only say what I hear from my Father. The Father loves me because I always do what pleases him. Only one reference. And it's clear that it's when we have recovered, hopefully slowly but quickly, when we have recovered the simplicity, then we become a rock for others. When people are complex, they are never a rock for anybody because they are so stuck in their complexity. They are you know, constantly moving from one direction to the other. When people are simple, they become a rock. In the sense that you can count on them, they are faithful. People who are not simple are never faithful. Because they always try to respond to a different need. When I have one love, one truth, one security, then I become a rock for others. And again, the world is so insecure, people need the presence of those rocks. Peter. But first of all, Our Lady. Our Lady, a mystery of simplicity. That's why we can find refuge at any time with her because when people are complex, they are so busy with themselves that you cannot find any refuge with them. When people are simple, they are open. They are makers of peace. You know that when St. Thomas Aquinas looks at the beatitudes of the peaceful, of the makers of peace, he says that it is the beatitude of the contemplatives those who have found the simplicity of God offered to them, that's a good idea. then they can become a rock of peace for others. Shall we pray? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.